Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to St Matthew's this morning. It's really good to see you here, both those of you who are in the building and those of you who are joining us online. Uh, today, as uh, we move into a new teaching series, we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, one of the things the Gospel of Matthew shows us is God's, the way that God was so faithful to his promises in sending his son Jesus to establish the kingdom of God in the world. And so as we begin this morning, it's very appropriate that we're singing a song about the faithfulness of God to us. That's his character. So let's stand and we'll sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
take a seat. I'll lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought each one of us here this morning. As we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, help us express our thanks and praise as we hear your word, as we sing of your glory, as we pray to you, and as we encourage each other. Amen. Well, a warm welcome again uh, to those of you who are here with us uh, this morning. It's great to see you. It was lovely to meet Jennifer, who's with us for the first time, and to see Robin Carey uh, back on, on our shores again. Uh, lovely to have you back, Robin. Uh, welcome, everyone, uh, to our service today. Uh, people have been asking as uh, they've come in, how was the baptism of the grandchildren last Sunday? It was wonderful, and we've got about a thousand photos if any of you would like to see them. So it was lovely actually to be with our, our daughter and her husband and their church and to be there as they were praying for them, the whole family, and committing to standing with them in, in raising these youngsters as followers of the Lord Jesus. So thank you for your interest. As I said at the beginning of the service, we're beginning a new series today in, in the Gospel of Matthew, particularly looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous of, of Jesus' teaching. But as, as Bruce said in his email during the week, and Bruce will be bringing us the first of the talks today, he said it's, it, it may be the most famous, but it's not necessarily uh, well understood and certainly not widely obeyed and enthusiastically embraced in all of its detail. Uh, we've really got a, a wonderful opportunity over this next couple of months to be confronted in some ways by the Lord Jesus and his claims on us as, as he claims to be the Lord of all. He says building your life on his word is like building on a rock uh, rather than building your life on sand. So Bruce will bring us the first of those talks today uh, from the, um, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Alongside that teaching, over the next seven weeks or so, we've got a series that we're calling Contributing Member Spots. And Scott will be introducing that to us this morning. Uh, it um, promises to be really helpful uh, to the building of our life together as God's people here. But right now we're going to turn our attention to the, um, the Apostles' Creed. And I wonder, Vicky, could we have that up on the screen, just that first slide? So we're coming to the Beatitudes today, which are all about how we who follow the Lord Jesus are the blessed people, those almost to be envied. Uh, and it's because we have the privilege, as we're going to say in the, in the Apostles' Creed in a moment, of knowing God as Father, Heavenly Father, of knowing His Son, our Lord Jesus, and, and His story of coming amongst us, of knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit with us here today, even as we gather in God's name. So today I invite you to say the words of the creed with a great sense of joy because of all that we know of God through our Lord Jesus. Please join me as we say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks, Scott. Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to be in church together this morning. Uh, well, as Andrew said, uh, one of the features of this term is we're going to have things called contributing member spots um, each week during, uh, I think it's the next seven or eight weeks. Uh, that's just going to help us outline where we're heading as a church. Uh, if you've been with us for a long time, and many of you have been with us for a long time, you will know that um, before COVID and the building program, we ran something called a commitment series in Term 4 that had a number of kind of uh, memorable features like the 24 hours of prayer, where we encouraged you to join us at 2 a.m. in the building to pray for an hour. Um, but most of you, of course, came at 10 o'clock in the morning, far more sensible. And um, many of you joined us for uh, Serve Manly kind of service projects over at the um, public school there. Well, this year, some things are changing and some things are staying the same, but there's kind of three key parts to the term. And I think we've got some slides up, um, up for you as well. The first is uh, a teaching series on discipleship and as Andrew has presaged, we're going to do that through teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, thanks Vicky, um, which has been described um, as Jesus' most violent series of teaching. And I think that's meant in the sense of it's very confronting, but also very enriching. Um, secondly, for the first time uh, in a few years, we're able to host the annual celebration dinner. Raise your hands if you've been to one of our celebration dinners. They're cracking, aren't they? Great times of fellowship. So we're going to have a chance to do that it's always been a highlight of the year here. We're going to have a chance to do that again. So that's on Wednesday night, the 16th of November. It's about um, a month's time. And uh, next week, I think we're aiming to have the ability to sign up and register for that. But you could punch that date into your diary. That would be super helpful right now. The last key part of Term 3 will be a focus each, each week on encouraging us to be contributing members. So our vision as a church is to grow God's church through the gospel, and we aim to do that by making faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus in Manly and beyond. So key to that happening is by each one of us making a move from attending a service to being a contributing member, and many of us are contributing members. So we're not just bottoms on seats, but we're part of a fully functioning body. And of course, that's not just a, a staff activity, that's a whole of church activity that requires every member of St Matthews to actively contribute. Now this term we're having kind of two key areas of focus, two pieces if you like of the contributing member pie. The first one is serving in ministry and we're going to look at that over the next few weeks and the second one is giving financially, we'll come back to that in November. But as we think about serving in ministry, I wonder if you know or have gotten onto the fact that over the last 10 to 20 years there has been a steady decline in people belonging to and serving in all sorts of groups in Australian society, whether it's political groups, sporting clubs, kind of um, hobby, special interest groups and community groups. In fact, a recent uh, study estimates Australia lost one million volunteers in the past six years. That's amazing, isn't it? One million volunteers have gone. Uh, sociologists claim that people are just, they just feel too busy to commit Another reason for, for people pulling out of serving is they've identified it just isn't fun anymore. Uh, well, obviously that decline in volunteering has had some impact upon us here at St Matthews. And I mean, during COVID lockdown, for example, it was literally forced upon us, wasn't it? But I've got some good news for you. Firstly, 
there's lots of ministries here that are ripe for you, for each of us, to get involved in serving if we are going to grow and go forwards. That is, there's lots of opportunities for each of us to be contributing members in the area of service. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at three key areas that some of you might be interested in serving in, um, things like pastoral care, things like kids and family ministry, things like behind the scenes and administration sort of areas of service. But we don't want to limit um, people to those few areas. There's a whole host of areas where people can get involved, things like Alpha or uh, English as a Second Language Teaching or Helping, or Cooking at Soup Kitchen, or Welcoming, or Music Ministry, or Helping on the Sound and Data Desk, or Being Involved in Growth Groups. So there's lots and lots of areas. That's the first piece of good news. The second piece of good news is that apparently, according to this study, I realise this does sound made up, but it's not because I heard it on the ABC, and they never lie. 82% <laughs> of people will do something if they're asked by someone they know and like. And I really like you guys. <laughs> but if you are thinking, well, I would like to actually be involved, I'd like to make a jump from just attending a service to being a contributing member. One of the things you could do this very day if you wanted to is take out that little card that's on the seat in front of you and you could um, connect it with us via the, um, the digital connect card and that QR code and just ask to discuss with a staff member one way that you can get involved. You could do that. Final piece of good news is the Bible's promise about serving in gospel ministry. And I think we've got a key verse on the screen for you here. Jesus said in John 12, verse 34. I must say I've read this before, but I haven't pondered it. What a great verse. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. Fair enough. But my Father will honour the one who serves me. Isn't that a great promise? When you serve, you not only help to grow God's church in manly and beyond, well, that's worthy of our service in and of itself. You not only grow yourself as a faithful disciple of Jesus, you not only take your place as a contributing member of our church here, but more important than all of that, I think, is you attract the honour and blessing of God on your life as a good and faithful servant. What a great promise to hold on to. So over these next uh, three weeks, please think and pray about how you might be involved in serving in gospel ministry here at St Matthew's Manly. Thank you. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Uh, Lord and Heavenly Father, you have revealed yourself to us in the beautiful world that you have made by the word that you've caused to be recorded in the Bible and especially through your Son. We know you love us and we're so glad that you listen to us as we pray. We want to pray, Father, for this whole world that you have made and for those who carry authority and who have influence in our world. This morning, we particularly want to pray for those who work in the media and in broadcasting. We pray that the way events and issues are covered will, will be fair and truthful. We pray for individual reporters and those in that whole industry to be protected from cynicism and especially those who are exposed to constant exposure to trauma in very difficult matters, we ask that you'll protect them as well. 
We pray, Father, that you'll strengthen Christians to boldly stand for what is good, uh, for those who, who work in writers' rooms, for those who serve on boards, for those who are involved in the whole creative process. We ask that they'll do this all to your glory. And as we think of the wider world, Lord, we pray too for our mission partners today, in particular, Dave and Leonie, Leonie Painter, uh, during this time when they're considering their future and when they've stepped aside from responsibilities with the Church Missionary Society. Lord, we pray that in this extended leave uh, from, mission to work to care, uh, from mission work to care for their family here in Australia, we thank you for providing accommodation for them in, in Newcastle and for suitable work that Leonie's been able to find. And we pray that the same thing will happen with Dave and that the interviews he's undergoing at the moment will lead to rewarding work. And at the same time, Lord, we pray that you'd give them both energy and focus in the midst of all of this so that Leonie can continue her studies, which have been so helpful for her equipping her in the work they've been doing in Phnom Penh, and for Dave as he continues to revise biblical training resources in the Khmer language. For our own church here at St Matthew's, Lord, as we launch into this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Calling, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who graciously invites us to live under his loving rule. We pray that we'll listen well to his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we gather on Sundays and in growth groups, would you turn our hearts to Jesus above all else, above all our hopes and plans, above our closest relationships, above our possessions and yearnings, so that we might truly know the blessing of following him. May we live as those who know how blessed we are in Christ. Lord, may your word dwell richly in us in this coming week. Help us to speak gently to one another, to be kind and patient, to be filled with the joy of knowing you are our loving Father, who goes before us and who sets the path straight for us to follow. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing our offertory hymn.
Good morning, everybody. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, and you can find that on page 968 in the Bibles in the seats. 968. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Brenda, and thank you, Andrew. Good morning, everyone. I do love this time of year. You can just feel summer coming, but you can still sleep. <laughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, but particularly this section of scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. So powerful, so vivid, and I pray, Lord, that not just today, but over this next 10 weeks of the journey that you would really work powerfully in our lives to continue to transform us to be like the Lord Jesus and we pray this in his name. Amen. Good morning Jeremy. Good morning Matt. How was your weekend? Oh it was okay. I spent some time with the family we went to West Head, had a picnic, and Sunday I went to church. You went to church, Matt? Really? Well, yes, I'm a Christian. I know that might surprise you, but actually I am. I believe in God. Do you have a problem with that? I try not to bash people with my faith. I just try and fit in, just love them. That's what it's about. So Matt, you mean you really are a Christian? You believe in the Bible and Jesus and all that stuff? Well, yes. Uh, why are you surprised? Why is that? Well, Matt, I guess it's because if I could be honest, you don't seem to look like a Christian. 
And what I mean by that is that you just seem like everyone else, like us. In fact, you don't seem to be any different. I'm not trying to be rude, but you're not like the other Christians that I know. The ones I know, there always seems to be something quite different about them. Well, that's a hypothetical conversation around a water cooler on a Monday morning. Having said that, I've had similar conversations about other church members which are very similar. I remember in my past church having that kind of conversation about someone else in a physio room. And they said, oh, that person comes to your church. I would never have known that. I want to ask an important question for us as we start this series on the Sermon on the Mount. What does a Christian actually look like? It's a really important question to think about. What does it look like to be a follower of the Lord Jesus? We start this new series, as we've said, called Kingdom Calling. And the King, the Lord Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to follow him and he is describing for us importantly what it means to follow him it is his most famous section of teaching it's the most extended section of Jesus teaching and it's probably the least understood and least followed now it is short in the English language it's just on 2400 words it's pithy it's memorable it's an oratory piece that 2000 years ago contains some of the most memorable phrases that are still in our English language today. The golden rule, the call for people to turn the other cheek, to build your house upon the rock. All of these phrases come out of the Sermon on the Mount. But these famous sayings are not in themselves why the Sermon on the Mount is so important, even though there's a residual memory of them in our culture. Its importance is because it's a message that at heart is the most incredibly pithy and powerful description of what it means to practically follow the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, of what a Christian should look like. If you were to sum up these three chapters, these 2,400 words, in one word, and ask yourself the question, what is Jesus saying to us? In one word, I would say, it is different. We are to be different. Now, the context is Jesus has been out proclaiming the gospel. He's been announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near. He's been announcing the good news of the kingdom. This is chapter 4. And many people have come. And he takes them up the mountain and he teaches them about what it means to follow him. And I do want to say, uh, and this is me speaking personally, I find this some of the most confronting parts of scripture in all of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. Not just one section, all sections, but I think what I find most confronting through all of it is actually not the individual parts. 
It's the person who's speaking to me, the Lord Jesus. And it's the authority with which he teaches. Throughout the entire sermon, you just get this contrast that just keeps banging away at us. There are two ways of listening. There are two ways of living. There are two ways of acting. There are two ways you can go through life. One is the way of the world. One is the way of religious people. The other is the way of Jesus. It's his way or the byway. And it's interesting, there's a phrase that's repeated six times. You have heard it said, but let me tell you. Now, there's something either incredibly arrogant about Jesus, the way he teaches, or there's something incredibly unique about him that he can speak that way, that he has an authority that transcends all other human wisdom. You've heard it said, but actually I tell you. As a follower of Jesus, as we start this series, I want to ask a very important question to all of us. Are we willing to listen to what he's going to say to us? And importantly, not just listen, but will I put his teaching into practice in my life? Will I do what he says? Because when you get to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what he says we need to do. It famously finishes with the story of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. And the one on the sand washed away, the one on the rock stayed steady. And who was the one who built his house on the rock? The one who put his words into practice. I want to do two things today. I want us to look at the passage Brenda read for us. But before we do that, I want to just give us a brief kind of oversight for this whole three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom calling. And there's two things I want to look at in oversight. What I think this passage is, uh, these passages are calling us to is to see that there's an upside down world that disciples are to inhabit. But secondly, as we start chapter five, we are upside down people. No doubt there are times in life when you feel like your whole world has turned upside down. I don't know if you're going through that at the moment. If you are, I'm sorry to hear that. But I wonder if you've heard of the house that is a tourist attraction in South Africa. It's called the Upside Down House, for pretty obvious reasons. It's quite stunning, isn't it? That is literally how the house is built. And the upside-down house seemingly defies gravity by remaining completely stable, even though it's been flipped onto its roof, thanks to a masterful design and construction. And if you walk inside, you'll be even more perplexed because its interior is completely upside-down as well. Now, that is a photo that's obviously been flipped. They are standing on the ground. (laughs) But it does your head in, doesn't it? Now, so popular was this house, they've taken off in the UK. What's with the Brits? They've got their own versions of it. Here's one, and you can see them there. It's become very Instagram-worthy, apparently, a tourist attraction. The deep challenge 
of the Sermon on the Mount is this. It presents what I want to call an upside-down view of life. It will turn life on its head. And it's all about how we live in this world. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. Famous Christian writer and apologist. He said, on first reading the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it's impossible. The second time, you feel that nothing else is possible. In other words, you need to sit with it and start to see a different vision for life and how life works. And what I want to say is be walking closely with Jesus to have the power and strength to live that way so that you think there is no other way to live. Let me show a few observations on these three chapters. The first is this, it's actually all about the kingdom of heaven. That's the context, chapter 4. He announced the kingdom of heaven and called people to repent and enter. When you get to the very beginning, we read these words. If you've got your Bibles, let's open them up. Uh, We're at Matthew chapter 5, pages 9, 6, 8. I'm not going to put any verses up on the screen today. So if you've got your Bibles there, let's open up page 9, 6, 8. I'm going to read from the start of chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and so he gathers them to teach. And he began to teach them, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's how this sermon begins. A statement that we are blessed and that we have the kingdom of heaven, that we are participants in it. We belong to it. We have it. And the kingdom of heaven presents an upside-down view of life. But as you move through, verse 10, the kingdom of heaven also belongs to the persecuted. Chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. It's where we get it from. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And so disciples are people who pray for the kingdom, the rule of God to come. Chapter 6, verse 33, in the context of money, possessions, property, anxiety, worry. He says, actually, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we're to pursue, his kingdom in this world. And in the closing words of the sermon, he says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. This sermon is all about what it means to live in God's kingdom and how we witness to that kingdom in this world that does not know the king. And the second thing to note is life in the kingdom is completely different to life according to worldly wisdom. There's a completely different way of both understanding life and living life. It's a world that is upside down, like those two people in the room standing on their heads. Let me give you some illustrations from some of my observations from the text. One phrase that repeats itself, as I said earlier, six times is this. You've heard it said. In other words, the world says, live this way. 
And Jesus then says, actually, but I say to you, I'm going to give you one. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 38. Here's one that we're going to be coming to. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, you pay people back. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. It's one of his most famous sayings. But what he's saying is, don't live the way other people live. This is how I want you to respond. It might be completely against the way people live in your, uh, your culture, but don't worry about it. Turn the other cheek. There is a wisdom about how you do life in this world. And some of it is helpful. But so often it runs against the grain of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, with this authoritative stance says don't listen to it forget it do it my way this week I've been wanting to read through all three chapters and I would really encourage you as you go away today and probably every week just read through the 2400 words read through the three chapters and let it soak into your bones and to your soul One thing that struck me is 19 times he says, do not. Reminded me as being a parent when I had young children. (laughs) Don't do that, don't do that. But 19 times he tells us, don't do this. Don't break your oath. Don't be like the religious hypocrites. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't store up riches here on earth. Don't judge people and the list goes on and on and on. 19 times he is saying... Don't live this way, live this way. And the other thing that strikes me is, he's not just saying don't think this way, though that is part and parcel of it. It needs to lead to new ways of acting. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus' rule on earth. And it's drawn near. The king has come. And we are called to follow him and to obey him and to live for him in this world. And it's an upside down world that we're going to go through that will stand us on our heads as we think about how we do life. And so we've got that to look forward to. But the beautiful way this Sermon on the Mount starts is presenting us a vision of upside-down people. Let me go back to my opening question. What does a Christian actually look like? I remember when I was a young man walking away from the Christian faith, I used to think they always looked so daggy. (laughs) They dressed a certain way with desert boots. I had my winkle pickers. How we look, though, is really about how we act. And what you see here is a portrayal of people who just act differently, whose hearts and minds and actions are very different. And the Bible reading today was Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 12. It's the beginning section. And it's got what's famously called the Beatitudes. A summary description of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ with eight characteristics And in many ways, it shows us what a disciple looks like. And I want to just look at these 
uh, for the second half and get us to think about them as we think about the kingdom has come and it's brought this upside down world and we are called to be upside down people. And I think the first and most important thing to note is this, disciples are blessed people. One of the things you're going to struggle with as you go through this is you're going to ask the question, how is this possible to live this way? It's a serious question. Martin Luther said, actually, it's impossible to live this way. Uh, This is all about just causing us to be driven to God's mercy. I don't think that's how we should read it. And this introduction is key. In verses 3 to 10, one key phrase repeats itself eight times in a row. Blessed are. It's a Greek word. It's not the easiest to translate. It's been notoriously difficult. And if you read different translations, they'll have a different way of putting a spin on what Jesus is saying here. Some have said it means to be happy. Happy are those. Now, let me just say, Jesus is not against happiness. I think he was a very happy character. But happiness tends to reside in our circumstances, does it not? You can be happy in some circumstances, sad in others, and that's just part of life. This is something that's deeper than just circumstantial happiness. It's a blessedness. It means you've got a blessed life or you have the good life, the envied life. Why? Because you've got the kingdom of heaven. You belong to the king. And what Jesus is saying here is because you belong to the king, the Lord Jesus, you are incredibly blessed. God is actually going to be the one who comforts you. You are eventually going to inherit the earth. You will have a satisfaction in life that is unrivaled amongst the peoples of this world. You will receive mercy upon mercy. You are going to see God. And you will be called the children of God. This is the nature of being a disciple in the kingdom. We are blessed beyond understanding. And no doubt, as it is with the kingdom, it has come in part and it will one day come in full when the Lord Jesus returns. We have these blessings now in part and one day we will have them in full. We see Jesus by faith now. One day we will see him face to face. We know we are children of God now by faith we will experience the reality of being with the Father in person when Jesus returns. We are satisfied because the Holy Spirit works in us to give us a contentment in Christ now, but oh, how good it will be when he returns. This is the nature of being a disciple in the kingdom. You're part of it now you will experience the blessings fully in heaven. And I want to say this is so important to grasp hold of. 
As you go through this series, Jesus is going to call you to do things that will make you uncomfortable. Let me just say, I know that because it's going to make me uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay? It's going to make all of us uncomfortable. And I'm not just talking about money because we're going to come to that. It's going to make you uncomfortable in terms of relationships, how you relate to difficult people. There's so many different areas where we'll find it uncomfortable. And where will the strength come from to live in this new upside-down way? It actually comes from your relationship with God through Jesus and the way he has blessed you. That you have a comfort, a mercy, a relationship, a satisfaction that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, we know that more than what the early disciples knew when they were listening to this sermon. Because we sit on the other side of the cross of Christ and know all of the reality of his death and resurrection for us. We are blessed people, and I tell you, coming up in the Sermon on the Mount, in just a few sections later, it actually says that you can become great if you practice these things. How wonderful is that? We are blessed people, but we are also different people. And when I say different, I don't mean by de- degree. In other words, just have a look. Here's a, a, um, what's called a colour wheel. Um, it's not like we're different yellow from orange <laughs> or purple from blue. <clears throat> That's different by degree. No, we're on the other side of the colour wheel. If the world is orange, we're blue. If the world is yellow, we're purple. That's what the Sermon on the Mount will do for us. And that's the way it will challenge us. It will say we are to be different by kind, not by degree. Look with me at verses 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, These descriptions that Jesus uses for disciples were typically used of godly people in the Old Testament. If you've got a reference Bible, you can often chase them down that way. Isaiah 61 is one classic one. It picks up two of them, the spiritually poor and those who mourn. And they were descriptions of the godly people in the Old Testament who longed for God's kingdom to come, who mourned over the broken state of his people. What is a disciple? It's someone whose heart and passion is for God and his kingdom. And it will be manifest in the core of their existence. They will be poor in spirit. In other words, they're dependent on God and not on themselves. They are not proud and self-made people, but they are spiritually poor and totally reliant on him. 
And the blessing, Jesus says, is when you are like that, you will have the kingdom. They will mourn, not over the things that the world mourns over, but that his God and his kingdom is not supreme in this world yet. And that's why we're called to pray in the Sermon on the Mount for his kingdom to come. It's why we're called to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first above all things. We will mourn how Jesus is not honoured as king in this country. But also they are meek people. They don't assert themselves, but rather they trust in God for influence. That's why we're to turn the other cheek. We don't try and take control, rather we don't react. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's ways to be lived out. The world will probably call them a bit fanatical, but Jesus would call them faithful. They are not merciful, sorry, they are merciful, not vengeful, vengeful or hateful. They forgive up to 77 times if required, is what you are told in Matthew's Gospel later on. And the reason they do that is because at heart they know they are forgiven people. Forgiven by the Lord Jesus through his death and resurrection. They are pure in heart. As people, they seek purity in their lives, a commodity that might be branded Puritan or restrictive in this sex-soaks world that we live in. But that's what they long to be, pure in heart and pure in their thoughts. And they're peacemakers. They seek to be agents who bring God's shalom, his peace, to bear in their lives and the lives of those around them. And these sorts of people are different to what the world seeks to be and lives for. Because they're people who live for God's kingdom. And I want to say these character traits are totally different to what the world aspires to. Poverty of spirit is not something that is esteemed today. Our culture breeds proud people, self-reliant people. Not people who say, I'm going to trust in God. In fact, it's one of the criticisms of people who become Christians. Oh, they're in a weak moment. They needed God to help them out. To be meek in our world is often seen to be weak. To hunger and thirst for righteousness often sounds like being a fanatic. The world says be powerful rather than merciful. The world says fill your hearts with pleasure, not with purity. The world says experience peace, yes, much more than bring peace. The expectation of Jesus is that his followers will embody all of them. It's not like I'm going to pick this one because <laughs> I like that one, I like the peace one, I'm happy to be a peacemaker. Not too keen about the purity part. It's a total package. And so that's who we're to be. And we're going to see what that looks like as we go through these three chapters. But the third thing to note in this upside-down world is disciples are opposed people. It's interesting, blessing is ascribed twice to this issue. Not once, but twice. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he repeats it again to emphasise the point. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For at the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Being a Christian is not about being part of a popular movement. It wasn't that way in the Old Testament. It wasn't that way in Jesus' time. It wasn't that way in the early church. And it has become increasingly so in our world today. Sadly, it is not the way in Australia in 2022. In my 36 years of living as a Christian, I can't remember a time like we are currently living in when Christians have been so opposed. It's not true for all parts of society, but it is in significant parts of the world we live in. I'm sure you'll have heard about what happened to Andrew Thorburn, who was effectively sacked after 24 hours of being appointed as the Essendon Football Club CEO. And we were mentioning that last week and I asked you to pray for it last week. But the sad thing is there's many other stories that don't make the news of Christians who are persecuted for their faith or because of their beliefs. Let me tell you one of those stories, this one also made the news a number of years back. His name is Mark Allaby. Mark was a senior executive of PwC, one of the big four professional services companies. Several years back in 2017, he was targeted by LGBTQI activists in New South Wales because he was on the board of the Australian Christian Lobby Group, an organisation that holds orthodox Christian views on marriage and gender. Now, let me just say, I've got a few issues with the ACL, but they're Christian people trying to work for the gospel in the country. The activists lobbied PwC to force him to resign from the board of the Australian Christian Lobby. The activists objected to the idea that Mark should be able to hold a position on the Australian Christian Lobby board at the same time as working as PwC. Significantly, PwC did not defend Mark against the attack. He felt it was impossible for him to continue working at PwC with such visible and vitriolic attacks and stay on the ACL board. He moved to IBM and then similar attacks took place because he was part of another Christian board. I've got a document which I've given to Zali Stegel because I've gone to speak to her about the whole issue of religious freedom. There's about 30 different stories in it of people at all levels of society because of their Christian faith being opposed. And the message of the Sermon on the Mount is this, don't be surprised. We are called to live different lives. But here's the thing, you can be blessed when you stand up for Jesus in this world. That's his promise. And you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, let me finish by saying this. I started by asking the question, what does a Christian look like? I want us to, as a church, take these chapters seriously and to read through in entirety this sermon and pray to the Lord Jesus, show me where you want me to change. Show me my blind spots and help me to know your blessings in my life so that I can change. Because Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he wants us to go into the world as different people. What sort of Christian do I look like? That's the question for us. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for these wonderful chapters. 
And as we go through them and journey with the Lord Jesus, transform us to be Christians who reflect who you are in this crazy world we live in. Help us to live an upside-down life in your upside-down kingdom and witness brightly to the Lord Jesus and his love, truth and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just check uh, whether anyone needs one of the communion packs we're going to share in the Lord's Supper now. Please raise your hand if you need another one. Chris has got a whole basket of them up the back there. Is it just Rob and Denise or is there someone else? And while they're being passed around, you might like to take the little plastic lid off. Oops.
Okay. So Jesus says some extraordinary things, even just in those opening words of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, why, why would you choose to trust him? Why would you choose to live such a radically different life to people around you? Well, as we're sharing the Lord's Supper, as we consider the death of Jesus for us, as we remember the empty tomb, we know he loves us and we know he rules all things and what a privilege it is to follow him. So as we share now, it's a chance for us to consider our commitments to put his words into practice. See, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and uh, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. By pouring out his blood for us, we have been forgiven. It's that which motivates us to be those who don't take revenge, but who show mercy and forgiveness to others. Now in a moment we're going to share in the bread and in the cup, but first let's come humbly before God and confess our sins together. 1 John 1 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Apostle John goes on to say, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'll lead us in this prayer. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself, once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue a remembrance of his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be partakers of his body and blood. Amen. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's take the bread and as we eat, let's remember the body of Christ that was given for us and be thankful. And let's drink the cup in remembrance 
that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. Join in this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped so we and all your shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, as we close, I'd like to invite you to join us across at Morning Tea. It'd be great to see you there. Uh, for those of you who are new, I'd love to meet you. So. I'll be at the door there if you have to leave uh, quickly. Otherwise, it'd be lovely to chat across at, um, at morning tea. Now, Vicky, do we have the copy of the Beatitudes there? Okay, maybe you could put them up there. We're going to do something a little bit different now. Having heard the word of God, we're going to say it out loud again uh, with more understanding, I hope, than when we, when we were here at the beginning. And this really is a, a declaration of faith as we agree with Jesus that it's blessed to be poor in spirit knowing that ours is the kingdom of heaven. So would you stand and I invite you to join me in reciting together the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. It's an extraordinary statement that Jesus makes, but we are the blessed ones as we know and follow him and live his way. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.